You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert, Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. It's not often that we get to talk to real life superheroes, people that go from zero to 230 miles per hour. But that's what we have for you today. We're talking about mental clarity, focus, visualization, the fitness and the fortitude to be able to do the superhuman. But not just that, how do we even put ourselves in position to access our greatness that we all have within our own capacity, our, our unique gifts and talents that often lie dormant until we put ourselves in the right conditions. We're gonna be talking about all that stuff today. And this is an absolutely incredible conversation. Now, before the interview today, I got my special guest a little gift. And with the help of my wife, by the way, because I found out that they are a collector of coffee mugs. And as you know, they can be very unique. My favorite coffee mug is a Thanos gauntlet with the, with the infinity stones on it. Yes, that's what I have. That's what I'm sipping out of. All right. I've got another mug that my son got me that says cat dad. We don't have a cat. He thought it was funny. All right. I'm a fan of a good mug. All right. Especially I like the superhero type mug. Just it's a vibe. It's like something that, you know, relates to you. You know, might have a little message on there. You know, my wife's favorite mug, it says queen of everything. You know, shout out. All right, so I got my special guest a mug, which she brought up. We talked on the show about it, actually. And but part of that meditative process for many people, you know, it's like starting the day with that cup of coffee. And it's something that is a major part of our culture. But I think that we've really lost the essence of its root and its origins and its beauty because this particular, for many people, and this is a little fun fact or not so fun fact. For the average person, for the average American, coffee is actually the highest source of antioxidants that they're getting. Like these antioxidants are helping to keep them alive, right? Now, of course, there can be some controversy around coffee, but it's generally going to be towards the things that are added to the coffee. You know, the processed sweeteners and the processed creamers and artificial this and that. It's not the root of coffee itself and also the rampant use when people start leaning on coffee just to get by and they're having eight cups a day. Or I've literally had people I've worked with that, there's no joke, 12 cups of coffee a day. I wonder why they got the shakes. This is true story, absolute true story. Help them to ratchet back on the coffee. They thought I was a genius because their hands stopped shaking all the time. I was just like, this isn't rocket science here. Right? But here's the thing. With coffee, there's a clear bell-shaped curve of benefits. In fact, Stanford University recently deduced that caffeine and coffee is able to defend against age-related inflammation. We know today, the, the science around inflammation is growing rapidly because now it's, it's attributed to all manner of chronic diseases, from obesity to heart disease to diabetes having this underlying facet of systemic inflammation. Coffee is able to actually defend against that. The research revealed that light to moderate coffee drinkers live longer and more healthfully. Their health span is longer. Thanks in part to the protection caffeine provides by suppressing genes related to inflammation. We're talking about nutrigenomics. Nutrigenomics and its freshly brewed glory. In addition to that, we can go 
the route of having coffee, or we can upgrade things and make sure that we're getting in organic coffee that's not treated with pesticides and rodenticides and herbicides, all things that are the opposite of health affirmative. And we now have massive amounts of peer-reviewed evidence as to pesticides being related to damage to the microbiome, to creating inflammation in and of itself. So not just canceling out the benefits we're looking for, but potentially making things worse. So organic, but also infusions. This is where we are today. High quality organic coffee infused with the storied and stacks on stacks of stacks of peer-reviewed evidence now on the benefits of medicinal mushrooms, like lion's mane. Research at the University of Malaya have uncovered that lion's mane medicinal mushroom has been found now to help to heal the brain when talking about dealing with traumatic brain injuries. There are compounds in lion's mane that stimulate neurogenesis, the creation of new brain cells. So there's a lot of work being done there. Also, we have some peer-reviewed evidence identifying its ability to help to reduce anxiety and stress as well. So to have that together, we have lion's mane medicinal mushroom organic coffee infused together, also with chaga, which is the highest antioxidant source, far beyond coffee, of any consumed food or beverage that has ever been discovered. All right, we're talking about ever, forever, ever. Chaga is off the charts. So all this together in your cup to start the day. That's what you get with Four Sigmatic. Go to foursigmatic.com forward slash model. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com forward slash model. You're going to get 10% off their incredible mushroom coffee blends. And also, if you're not a fan of coffee, all good. They have amazing mushroom teas, aka mushroom elixirs that are based on lion's mane, cordyceps, chaga, all dual extracted. This is what sets Four Sigmatic apart, dual extracted, hot water extract, alcohol extract to actually get all of these bioavailable compounds so you're not getting shorted on anything. They do stuff the right way. Go to foursigmatic.com forward slash model. Now let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled Muscle-Centric Medicine by Rebecca WRC. More mind-expanding info bombshell in this episode with Dr. Lyons. Thank you, Sean, for continuing to bring such helpful and integrity-driven guests and information forward. So much trust and gratitude your way. Amazing. Thank you so much. That's from our episode that we did with Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, focusing on muscle-centric medicine. So definitely want to check out for sure. But this review also mentioned driven, being driven. And that is a perfect segue to today's special guest. As a race car driver, Danica Patrick broke barriers and set records with her on-track performance. And now recently with her race car career being complete, she's focusing today on good food, fitness, and helping other people to achieve their goals. Danica joined the mainstream ranks, succeeding in the male-dominated world of professional motorsports. Danica was named at Time's 100 Most Influential People's List and graced the cover of many prestigious publications. In her rookie season, Danica stunned the world by leading for 19 laps and finishing fourth in her first Indianapolis 500. She became the first woman to lead laps and score a top five finish in this historic race. She actually made the pivot from IndyCars to NASCAR as well. And in her closeout season, she raced what's called now the Danica Double and competed in two marquee events that were cornerstones of her career, the Daytona 500 and the Indianapolis 500. 
Today, she's here to share her story, her insights, and what enabled her to get into that position in the first place, but also all of the other amazing things that have sprung from her experience. And some of these things are probably going to surprise you. And I'm telling you right now, so many of these nuggets are things that we can all apply in our lives to do the impossible, to do what seems impossible, and to really access our true greatness. Let's jump into this conversation with the amazing Danica Patrick. So fitness is a big part of your life. Yeah. When did that start? Were you always like into fitness as a kid or did that kind of evolve later? Oh, well, it probably evolved. I mean, racing got me into it because I had to be strong. So I started actually probably working out when I was like 14. Mm. So what kind of training did you do early on for kind of getting stronger, I guess, to be able to handle the car? Push-ups. Like I had one of those, you know, a, a bar with a weight on the bottom and working on my grip strength, my forearms. Um, uh, yeah, I'd go into the gym and I'd use equipment. Like before I had my license, they would, my parents, because I lived in the middle of nowhere, they'd let me take my, my the car. And drive to the YMCA, a couple miles away, and then and I'd go work out, drive home. So you're hitting the Y, you know. This is a it's a first of all Midwest represent, you know. And Sometimes just, they only have a Y. That's okay? it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. The YMCA was you know kind of everything. There was a community center that we had in one of the neighborhoods I lived in, but you know just having that outlet too. Yeah. And also you know again it's not uncommon that somebody under the quote legal age is gonna drive somewhere by the way, you know. My sister and I were driving when we were not tall enough to reach both the pedals and the steering wheel. You don't say. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we were driving around my parents' building in my dad's truck and my sister would steer and then I would work the pedals or vice versa. <laughs> this sounds like a movie. And this is really what happened. Little rascals. Like, there. okay, hit the, you know, brake, slow down. And it was like, we just inch our way around the building. At like probably six, I don't know, oh seven, God. I don't know. We were really young. Did you rob banks as well? <laughs> I mean, I mean holy oh, moly. we would be unassuming. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's unassuming now. Like, you know, just the, there was obviously people had an eye out for if you come into the bank with a mask on. Now. You know, now, right. <laughs> what are they doing now? So crazy. So growing up in the Midwest, what was it for you? I think. I heard a little bit of a story of how when you initially kind of got into driving that you were just kind of looking for something maybe with your dad just to do or just connection time. Mm -hmm. Were you guys going to like, I guess, get a boat yeah, was the yeah. original plan? Yeah, yeah. Can you tell you, us about got that? A good, you got a lot of good parts of the story. Um, yeah, I was 10 and my sister was eight and my dad worked all the time and my mom was able to stay at home with us. and. Uh, so we didn't see our dad very much. And so the idea was, what can we do on the weekends to spend time together and get, you know, be closer as a family? So, yeah, the, one of the ideas was to get a boat. but That didn't work out. And so instead, they decided to get go-karts. And that was really because of my sister. My sister, she's younger than me. Um, she was the one that was eight. Um, she was super into it. So on the weekends, my dad would work on sprint cars, midgets. They race on dirt ovals and go sideways and kick up clay and all kinds of stuff. And my sister and I would sit in the stands and my dad would be working on the cars in the pits. And we just, you know, get 20 bucks and have like the like the foot, like the long licorice. And we'd get the snow cones with the rainbow, mm. rainbow snow cones, Snickers and whatever else. And we just 
have an amazing time in the stands. So we've been at racetracks our whole life. So, yeah. I mean, my dad got his boy, that's for sure. <laughs> because your sister, so it's just the two of you. Yeah. And your sister is how much older than you? She's younger. She's two years younger. Two years younger. Mm -hmm. And she was yeah. out there doing yeah, her thing? She, well, she was the one that wanted to do it. And oh, wow. I've realized um, more so now that I've realized now that I, I'm not really like the one that always comes with the, up with an idea to do something, but I'm always up for it. So if somebody's like, hey, you want to go skydiving? I'm like, well, I don't know, but maybe, gosh, I probably should say yes. Um, you know, do you want to go horseback riding? I'd be like, um, sure, I guess. So I'm kind of like, sure. And I don't want to get left out. And um, I don't have FOMO, but I feel like I don't like fear or complacency to play a role in growing and having experiences. Mm -hmm. And I know it's in those kinds of experiences that you make memories and you expand your comfort zone and um, you learn things that you love. So I think, you know, being able to try everything. So when I was a kid, I did volleyball, I did basketball, cheerleading, band, choir, track. Like I participated in everything school had to offer. Um, so I think that's just kind of the mindset, which is why probably racing came into it. Because it was like, sure, let's do it. So I just was like, didn't want to get left out. Mm. So. Tell us about the first time that you did the go-karts. I think it was like more of a legit go-kart. It was a real one to go on the racetrack. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And my dad had finally got them built. And as I said, my sister and I were driving around my dad's building. He worked in construction and installed windows and stuff. So he lived in, he, his company was in a construction area. So there was a big parking lot. And so we went out back to the parking lot and, um, they set up, you know, WD-40 cans and brake cleaner cans in a circle for my sister and I to drive around the circle and drive the go-kart for the first time. And so as we're going around the circle, um, we're inside of, a, inside of a construction company, actually. So this is where you'll find dock. There are like trailer docks in the back where this parking lot is. Um, it was, and so there's also construction trailers as well. And so I'm going around, going around, and all of a sudden I go to hit the brake and slow down. And there's a lever that goes from goes a, from the like a little box next to the seat, and it goes straight through straight forward to the brake pedal. It's a rod, so that it's it's hooked up to the brake um, pedal itself, and so it will work the brakes through this box and go back. Anyway, um, the pin that hooks up the rod to the to the actual pedal came undone, so there was no brake anymore. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I'm 10 and I have no idea what to do. So I just freaked out and went straight and I was heading straight for a construction trailer that, you know, it's about yay high. Oh, wow. And I veered at the last second and went head on into a concrete wall. Um, and, um, you know, my arms flew back and I burnt my coat on the exhaust and I had bruises all over. And um, of course, my dad being the one that wants to make sure everything is the highest quality and best equipment. He's like, all right, well, we have to get a new go-kart now because that's twisted. So we just got another go-kart and put it together so that I would have like a perfectly straight go-kart. Unfortunately, that go-kart then went to my mom and my mom started racing. So my oh, mom what? and my sister and I all raced. Holy moly. Yeah, she ended up, she ended up racing. So you got while. back in yeah. after this. Oh, yeah. For this your is the first, first time. time. Like, yeah. I, I was watching a little something about that story with my son, who's <laughs> 10. And I was like, what did you notice about this? And he was, and he was like, 
she got back up and did it again. Yeah. She even despite something bad happening, she she got back in the seat and kept oh. going. Oh. You know, and like that's such a a great story for your life, like to kick things off. Like for a lot of people, I, per, me, I'd be I'm done, never doing this again. Are you kidding me? My coat's burnt. <laughs> yeah. You know, like whatever. Like that's crazy. <laughs> So already there's like some kind of resilience there in you. Yeah. And, you know, so you, what was it about racing that you kept persisting in that sport particularly? Because you just mentioned you did all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. And what was it about it for you that like you decided to put more focus into to the degree that you ended up sure. going to England and leaving oh, yeah. the Midwest? I think it, it played into an instant gratification kind of a sport where it was tangible lap time. Like you can go out and you do a 37, 56 lap time, 37 seconds, 56 um, tenths. And then you go out again and do a 37, 32. And you're like, okay, I'm a couple of tenths quicker. And then you can just like keep getting better and keep getting better. And it was tangible. And um, then positions on the track too. So by halfway through my first season, I couldn't, the beginning I couldn't keep up on the parade laps. My sister and I couldn't. And um, then by halfway through the season, I broke the track record and I was winning races. Mm. Wow. So this parlays itself into like it's a real dedication and your family supporting you in this to the degree like this was something I, I had no idea. And it's kind of unheard of, especially again, coming from a Midwest family. Now you're going to leave your family. You're going by yourself. I did when I was 16. Moving to mm -hmm. the UK, mm -hmm. what was that all about? Like, mm -hmm. what, first of all, why? <laughs> Second of all, what was your experience mm -hmm. like? Mm, well, I had met someone when I was 14 years old at Indianapolis Motor Speedway uh, that he was in this suite with this, you know, this family that owned a race team. And, um, and he was British. And I just started asking a lot of questions. And a couple of years later, this group, this guy in the family contacted my parents and said, hey, uh, we've been following your career, your daughter's career, and we'd like to have a conversation with you about, you know, next steps and helping her in her career. So we almost didn't go. It was like a four hour drive each way from where we lived in Illinois to Indianapolis. And it was pouring down with rain that day. And we ended up going. And having the meeting and turn around, drove home, and they presented the idea for me to go to England to race. And uh, they said that I could learn more in England in one year than five years in the States. I mean, that was just something that they said, or at least that's how I remember it. <laughs> Memory is what percent true at this point in time? I don't know, but I'm pretty sure that was the gist of it. Um, and so it was just an opportunity to progress. And so, so I went over and did it. My parents were super sad. I think my mom cried a lot, but they were like, man, we'd rather you go and have it be sad than not have the opportunity at all. Yeah. So thankfully my parents were really open about that and, and allowed me, Yeah, you know, cause I left junior year. It was halfway through junior year. Um, so that's huge. I, I was actually gone. I actually really only went through sophomore year. Junior year, I started, I went for a month, then I was gone in England for two months, and then I came back for a month. And um, so I only went half, the, half, half of the first half, so. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, maybe one of the best compliments, because I've written my intelligence off a lot, because I 
there's a lot of stuff that I don't know that maybe is classic stuff that you learn in school, like timelines of history and things like that. And I just, I didn't learn it, mm-hmm. nor would it maybe stick. I don't, I don't know. And so I kind of have dismissed myself and just said, I'm not very smart. And um, I've learned that that language is not very productive. And um, I was, I remember one time I was, uh, I was having a conversation with somebody and he was, he worked at CERN, the collision, the um, uh, atom, the proton or electron collision Mm -hmm. machine in CERN, Switzerland. And um, so he's like a scientist and he asked me where I went to school because we were having this intellectual conversation about (laughs) reality and science and everything that he does. And I'm so curious and such a learner. One of my favorite topics to dive into is quantum physics. So, um, so he's like, man, where did you, where did you go to school? And I was like, oh, <laughs> I have a GED. I'm like, I went through like sophomore year. He's like, what? <laughs> yeah. That's, but anyway. I mean, I, I don't think a lot of people know that as well, because I think that I know this, the greatest intellectual skill is curiosity. Mm. And you have that. that like it is so deep within you and your your constant search and your questioning things. And yeah. I think that one of the the best tools of a somebody who's not just a great student or somebody who's intelligent, but a great teacher is somebody that has a nice, healthy amount of skepticism too. I agree. It's a I would call that open mindedness. Yeah. Skepticism is kind of pairs with open mindedness to me because yes. you're like not sure. Which means you're not committed yeah. as opposed to being all in on something and this is the way. And if you don't believe this, you're going to hell. Or if you do believe this, you're going to hell. Whatever the topic is, um, I think that skepticism kind of implies open-mindedness. I'm just going to tell you, like, I think that your experience in high school or lack thereof has been a massive advantage in your life. <laughs> And this rings true because of the way that our education system is structured. Like, were you actually prepared for life? And in many instances, we know this. Like, we have all this rote memorization. We have a lot of things that we're told we're supposed to learn that doesn't actually apply to success in life or happiness or- How much of high school do you use? I mean, I remember (laughs) doing, and I remember doing, I think it was probably Algebra 2. It was maybe sophomore year and we had these things called proofs and it was like yeah, I remember proofs, something yeah. I, I never got one right. I never got one right. I mean, I'm and I was an AB student. Like I was like a even with being gone cuz I was gone in school from from uh 10 years old. So um and I would miss 10 days, 20 days, 30 days, 40 days, 50. I mean, I just kept missing more and more school to the point where I left. Um but I was a a really easy AB student, but I didn't understand that. And it's like there's some stuff in school that's just pointless. When do you ever use that? Anyway, that's just a silly example, but there's a lot of stuff you don't use. Yeah. There's some stuff you do, and I think that there is value in it, yeah. but I think that you've got me onto a topic that I don't even have kids and I have a tremendous opinion on. Um, I think that the curriculum is, you know, point. most of it is pointless. I think the structure of it all, the age in which you go, the stringency of things, and kids are playful and want to climb trees when they're five and they have to sit on a rug in one spot and can't even go to the bathroom it's like i get that there needs to be some orderliness and respect and some kind of things but hmm, i wonder if we go too too early yeah and And too long we leave from that rug to a desk and we start to get into order and separation and 
you know, and you know, I remember it's a, even like in school, there was a there was a B, mm-hmm. so a B classes, meaning like a you were smart and the B classes were not as smart. And I don't even think anything of it then, but imagine being a kid and being like you're in the B class. Yeah, you know, or worse, you know, our mutual friend Lewis House, he was in special classes, quote special classes. Oh, really? I don't even yeah, know that. Yeah, remedial. Wow. All, yes. So yeah. Yeah, and now he's written books and he interviews <laughs> brilliant people and has a super successful One podcast himself. One of the smartest himself. people I know, but it's yeah. because so the bottom line is this: is that the way that our system is structured now, it it doesn't allow for your genius it doesn't allow for your unique gifts and talents to actually be expressed Mm -hmm. it's this very cookie cutter uniform thing that you're supposed to know these things and be good at these things if you don't you're not smart so it's creating a it's creating a system of intelligence that is very relegated to a certain very very isolated way of thinking narrow so it's very suppressive to creativity yeah. You know, even in writing class, like that's something where I, I loved writing, but I had a conflict with this one teacher in high school because I'm I'm wanting to be more like diverse in the way that I'm saying certain things, mm-hmm. right? And but that's because I had another teacher who was encouraging of that. Oh man, you know, yeah. and I'll never forget her eighth grade Miss Blackmore. You know, like she published <laughs> shout out <laughs> shout out Miss Blackmore. She published a piece of my I wrote a poem in the school newspaper, right? Aww. So I'm just like, oh, I'm the sh- like when it comes to this, like I got bars, like I have, yeah. and then, you know, eventually of course, that skill set, it's not necessarily honed in that setting because you don't have people who are paying attention to your uniqueness. Yeah. But eventually again, my last book is, it's a national bestseller, you know, my exactly. previous book is translating like 21 different countries and different That's languages, so cool. but it's picked up in this environment, but it could have got suppressed. And, you know, so, I wanted to bring this up because I think it's such a, it's a wonderful advantage that you have. And so you mentioned this, like the framing and saying that to yourself for so long, like yeah. I'm not smart because yeah. I, didn't, I have this GED or whatever yeah. it is. But man, like I, I really want to guide, and this is a part of yeah. even having you here, is to, health is obviously massively important to me. But a reason that our health is so terrible is also tied to our education system. Yeah. You know, and our, and our mental health. Yeah. You know, and not being, able to understand how valuable we are. Yeah. You know, and how yeah. beautiful we are as people. So all of this stuff matters. And then you're a walking example <laughs> of what's possible that's not in this cookie cutter thing. So you get to the UK and you're basically by yourself yeah. in, in this racing world. What is life like? Like what did you have to learn? Were you like is cooking for yourself or like sure. what, what how did this all look? Well, just to add on to what you were saying about intelligence and this narrow window that we're all um, graded on and uh, judged to some degree, uh, there's, I don't remember what they all are, but if you probably look up like the types of intelligence, there's a bunch of them. There's like emotional intelligence, um, artistic intelligence, um, sure there's like mathematical intelligence creative there's all kinds of different kinds and so you know in school i know there's subjects but it's this you know generally speaking it's like the the like we said the, the window is so narrow and some of them really don't get exercised and and even tested or um introduced or cultivated um maybe at all or very little 
Um, so I think anybody that feels like they're not smart in some way to explore the idea that you are, you just might not know which one you are. Um, and to explore the ways that you feel like you feel comfortable and inspired and where you shine and where you have fun and where you're kind of like drawn to. Um, and you might just have a different kind of intelligence that's, if you cultivate that for yourself is just as valuable as another one of the intelligences. So, um, I just want to say that cause I think that's important for people. Um, uh, so I'm in England and I lived with, uh, I lived with a girl and, um, actually I lived with two girls. I started off on a couch in, uh, in the living room. It was a pullout couch that turned into a bed. My bag was underneath the staircase. And that's how it started. Eventually, I ended up moving into a shoebox of a room, and it was a single bed. And the width of the bed was probably about as about as much width as there was next to the bed, and around the end. And that's it. It was stuffed in the corner, um, and it was so tiny. And then the next year, I ended up living with a family. I got in trouble for being. My my managers heard that I was out and about and partying and, and having too much fun in England. So they were going to pull the plug on everything. And there was all these new rules. And were they right? Oh, on some level, sure. I mean, I was 16, 17 years old. I mean, I didn't have parents. I was hanging out with all the other drivers. And, you know, you can do whatever you want over in England, pretty much. I mean, legal age is much younger. And so some of it was true. But you know, I wasn't, uh, wasn't, I wasn't as bad as anyone, but bad enough. And this is why, this is an example of why you can't give anyone a reason. So it's like, you might be going to work and getting all your shit done, right? Getting it all done. And, um, but if you show up late or you leave early or whatever, you know, it's like, it's dings against you. And so you just can't give them a reason. You know, if you want a promotion, and you aren't following all the, you know, you aren't following, you know, um, being a model employee and you want a promotion, like there's probably some reasons, even if you might be the best candidate, it's like, don't give them a reason. And so I gave him a reason. And um, so when I went back the next year, I lived with a family. I lived in a bedroom that was next to the front door and it was in like a little landing area where the, there was a, it was a big open square area. And this family had two kids. And these kids will play soccer every morning um, and kick the ball into my door. Didn't matter what time. <laughs> and I'm sure it was six something. And, uh, and that was painful. And I really couldn't do much. And so I was kind of stuck there. And then the next year, because I was there three years, I lived by myself. And so I got um, a little flat or whatever they're called and, um, and lived by myself. So then I learned how to cook. Mm. That's when I learned how to cook. Mm-hmm. And when you want to be healthy too, you have to cook. I mean, you can't, it's pretty tough to eat out every day of your life and achieve results or the kind of health that you would want. And I think even more so now, not only do we know about, you know, restaurants, whether it's serving size or how they prepare it and the oils and the fats and salts and sugars and all the things that go into it that you don't know. Um, And we're like, you know, taking into consideration more so nowadays the sourcing. Like, is it organic? Is it grass fed? Is it, is there anything humane about this? Is there anything natural? Is this coming from, is, is my spinach grown by a light or was it actually grown by the sun? You know, these are, 
these are things that we care about more now. So I think you got to cook it. You got to you got to be able to cook um, if you really, really want to achieve true health goals, I think. So um, so I learned how to cook because I want to be healthy. So it was in these years that you pick up this skill of cooking. So what about today? Is this something that you still do? I love cooking. You love cooking. You I put love the L cooking. word on it. I love cooking so much. It's creative. Um, I'm sure there's a little bit of control. Like just like I like to know what I'm eating. But in this day and age with the meal delivery services there are and things like that, and uh, there's a lot better options. If I didn't like cooking, I would do that, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I truly love cooking. I don't get sick of it. Every now and again, I'm like, I don't feel like cooking tonight. But for the most part, I'm always ready to cook. Um, sometimes I also just think it's faster. Like mm. going out to eat takes a long time. And I, I can have my meal ready in like 20 minutes. Yeah. That's great. So um, anyway, I truly enjoy cooking. Yeah. And that's another one of those misconceptions about cooking is that, you know, it's so time intensive. There's all these different things. It doesn't have to be. No. You it know. doesn't have to be. And uh, it can, I mean, it can be very simple. I mean, like the simplest, yeah. I mean, it can be, you can just grill something up in a pan, on the grill. You can throw it in a pan, saute it. You can throw stuff in a crock pot. I mean, that's mm. the easiest way to just have like, you want to have a lot of protein around just in the morning, throw something in a crock pot. Eight or so hours later, I like the crock pot for a long time. It's ready. And then you just shred it up and you've got, tender meat for tacos or a side or whatever you want. It's, there's ways that it can be very easy. Have you used an Instapot? Do you have an Instapot? I don't, I don't, but they, I just saw a video that was like, guys, I don't really understand all, I got an air fryer at one point. Yeah. It's a lot of work and there's not a lot of space in there. And it's like, mm -hmm. if I really want to air fry a lot of things, it's like tray after tray. Um, I, I saw that you can cook things in a couple of minutes in an Instapot. Yeah, it's basically witchcraft and wizardry to make it. Kind of like a microwave used to be. You know, right? it's, I mean, it's, it's much cleaner. It's not you yeah. know, all this radiation. However, it's just the way that it works is so mind-blowing. When you see how quickly stuff, yeah. and it has, you would think like you're going to lose something. You're going to yeah. lose a flavor dynamic. You're going to lose a texture dynamic. Yeah. I haven't really noticed that. Really? Like yeah. you can cook chicken in like four minutes, right? Yeah, it's again like chicken breast in like a couple of minutes. Or it you was can designed cook by rice super quick. It's designed by Gandalf. You know, yeah. Is he a brilliant guy? He must be. <laughs> He's a wizard. He's a wizard from Lord of the Rings. Which you... oh, Gandalf! I never watched those. Okay, I can't so you're believe a sci -fi I have a person. I know. I was just fantasy. told. I was just told. My boyfriend was like, "I can't believe that you haven't watched these. You really like sci-fi stuff." He's yeah. like, "Lord of the Rings is that." Yeah. And I'm like, all right, well, let's let's. Begin. I mean, technically, though, it's more, you know, there's like the fantasy domain. Fantasy, yeah. You know, you. I think you're still looking for a thread of realism, maybe. Yeah, and perhaps. It, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, but yeah, big. But Lord there's of a lot of truth in the in the in 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 the, you know. Yeah. I mean, oh, for sure. Like, there's so much. There's so many life nuggets in Lord of the Rings. It's okay. bananas. Okay. But you know, I just wasted a perfectly good joke. You know, with on Gandalf, someone that has out there, on someone people that, out there picked it up though. But yeah, I'm so sure I was they're say, judging me. Don't worry, they're not but, judging you. They're judging me. They're like, she hasn't <laughs> no. seen Lord of the Rings. <laughs> but I was actually gonna pivot. I was gonna say, you know, um, Harry Potter, or whatever. You know, because you lived in I the UK. I haven't watched those either. But I know you would know the name. Yeah, you know. Of so yeah. Of course. 
And when you told me you you lived in the, in the UK and you got a flat and the whole thing, I literally started having Harry Potter imagery in my mind. That's just how I work. So, but going back, you know, when you talked about our education system, it, it brought up, there's this quote that's often attributed to Einstein, which so much of these quotes, like, let's just be honest, we didn't hear him say it, you know? So it's we true. don't really know where the quotes come from, but this is, this is attributed to him, but I don't believe that it was him who said this, but it's a brilliant statement. He said that everybody is a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it is stupid. Facts, perception. I think so many things boil down to perception, right? I mean, if you, or yeah, all that, if all that fish knows is a tree and it can't get up it, yeah. well, you know, you've got a pretty narrow perception. Yeah. So that's a super, I mean, our perception creates our reality. Yeah. And we are in control of that. Yeah. It's not easy. I'm not saying because we're in control, it's easy. It's very hard. It's like the life, it's like the lesson of being a human, mm. but it's totally possible. But here's the thing too, and I, this is a remarkable thing about you as well. So of, of course, a lot of folks cognitively connect you with, race car yeah but something that i've noticed that you've done is you put yourself in a lot of different environments <laughs> you know mm -hmm. and even in the domain of race cars you put yourself in a new environment and this is the thing about that fish you know it might think it's stupid because it can't climb this tree efficiently but you put that fish in some water oh yeah. it's on yeah. but here's the thing it might never get that exposure and so what i want and part of the mission of even doing this show is to give people different exposures, mm -hmm. right? To, to encourage mm -hmm. them to put themselves in different environments because that's where your talent or your capacity or your, your, your gifts can be accessed because a mm -hmm. lot of stuff is dormant. Like you didn't know you would be well, good. activated, I think, right? Because yeah, being dormant, yeah. it's not not there. It's not like it's, you have yeah. to, it's, it's, it's being activated. You then Perfect. can, once you can understand how you feel doing things, then you understand more of who you are. It's like we don't live very easily in the space of awareness for our emotions and energy around things. And I mean, I've been guilty of this too. Like you try too hard, you force things, but like what resonates with you, what feels easy, what flows smoothly and quickly um, is, uh, is really like meant for you. So I, maybe you've had things happen in your life where you know, all of a sudden just boom, 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 boom. Things just start happening and yeah. you rolled out and you, you, you enjoy it, but it also moved really fast too. And, and so I think people live in resistance a lot. And so, um, so by trying things and having the opportunity, you then can feel what's in resonance because there's so much stuff that is dormant in there. And even like if we look at the relation, like interpersonal relationships, whether it's your parents, kids, partners, sometimes friendships too, like, Somebody will do something and there'll be some out of bounds response and it's a trigger. And we don't really see it as that. We think it's them. And so like life is trying to show us too, like our resonance with stuff and like and 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 show us what's dormant in us or what's activated in us too. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, if you have a judgment on something and somebody does it and you have a reaction, it's like, whoa, what was that reaction about? So like stuff is kind of hidden in plain sight. It's mm -hmm. but the fact that it's so it's in you and you can't see yourself that easily. Life is just an experience of seeing yourself through other people. It's kind of weird. Yeah. But it's kind of true. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's terrifying and beautiful yeah. as well. 
depending yeah. on your perception. Oh my God. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. you know, it's like you can look at something as being a blessing that you got this lesson and you can move forward or you can look at it as being a roadblock or you can look at it as being something that um, you always deal with. You can identify, you can sort of victimize yourself. And, um, and a lot of times it becomes your identity then. You're like mm. the person who does this or always has this happen. Um, and so if your perception is that, that that's true, well, you're going to keep getting more of it. Yeah, it's powerful because, you know, even in this moment, an example, I don't see you. I see my perception of you. <laughs> exactly. You know, and with that, but here's the beautiful part and thing about you that is remarkable that every, we all have this capacity is because I'm aware of this, I, I'm opening myself because when we have this perception, we tend to get locked into it. Versus me being open to you being something different than what I'm perceiving you to be, you know? And it's just like that creates this endless opportunity for connection, for, mm -hmm. you know, for, for, for admiration and all yeah. the good qualities yeah. that we connect We can to. see it in ourselves, right? So whatever you're seeing in me is in you. Otherwise, you can't see it. That's you know, deep stuff. Come on, <laughs> I'm gonna give you some snaps. Right, because that. that, that's why people get taken advantage of because they're not a manipulator. So they get manipulated. A manipulator knows when they're getting manipulated, usually. Mm. Right. So Sheesh. it's like you know, it's like if you're if you're not a narcissist and you're in for, you are spending time with a narcissist, you don't know they are because it's not in you. Like you don't have the patterns. And so, yeah, when it's like, but also on the other side, which is the positive side, is that when you look at someone, you're like, wow, they're just really kind. Like you have that in you. Like that's a strong aspect of you or, you know what I mean? So it's, it's, our, it's constantly showing, we're constantly seeing ourselves, um, And I think that we can, we can turn that ship, right? It can go from the, you know, we can be in a negative space where you see negative things and that might be really how you're looking at yourself. And then you can turn that ship too. You know, it doesn't always, it's not set in stone. Mm. Wow. You know, this also reminds me, yesterday I was talking to my, to my son. Um, I teach him on a couple of days a week, nutrition and, and anatomy. Oh. And so we had just finished class <laughs> and, you know, he said something crazy. We were I was teaching him class. We we're on our roof yesterday. Oh, cool. You know, so he's getting some vitamin D, you know, and having yeah. our class and talking. But then it was like some little joke about, you know, like him getting pushed off the roof or some, some kind of little, but it was like a funny little thing. But then he was like, that would never happen. Nobody would push me, you know, whatever. I'm just like, B. Because he would never push someone. Yes. And also <laughs> I was like, we all have the capacity for the most terrible things, but we also have the capacity for the most beautiful things. Yeah. We've got to understand that all of this exists within us. That recognition though is kind of where you live. What are you most attuned to is what you'll tend to see in others. Yeah. But you've got to understand, even when you mentioned that the narcissism, that's such a great example of why, why you can't pick that up. Yeah. But at some point you have to learn that skill or it'll keep happening. And you're like, you can recognize the pattern, but you can decide and you, I want to ask you about this, about contrast and understanding what you don't want. You know more what you do want. I mean, if Abraham Hicks hasn't said that a million times. Have you ever listened to any of those? Of course, yeah. I love Abraham Hicks. Dabbled in a little. Contrast, yeah. when you know what you don't want, you know more of what you do want. And you keep filling in your grid for the future of bringing that thing to you. Yeah. So True. Absolutely. Contrast is, is important. Yeah. And that's kind of the experience of being uh, being alive in this reality too is you know, 
when you have something negative happen, you can recognize the positive. Same thing as when you have something really positive happen, you can recognize the negative. And so you can sift through, I'm using literally the words that Abraham Hicks would say, but you're sifting through contrast and you're, and you're starting, you kind of get better and better at it and you weed away the things that you don't want over and over and over again. And you kind of continue to narrow and narrow down to a reality that feels better mo- more of the time than it used to. Yeah, yeah. I think, I hope. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> you know, um, I want to go back to, because I'm curious about this, you know, like who on earth, I think I might actually know the, the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you since I have you here, which is just so awesome. So you had this experience in, in England, which is just like a one in a billion type scenario, <laughs> you know, um, of course, the Captain Obvious, like not only are you plucking yourself from conventional education here in the United States and you're in another country, but you're also a lady, you know, which is very unique in this particular sport. Mm-hmm. And, but from that experience, you come back home, I would imagine you, your personality's probably shifted. You probably have different things going on mentally. When you came back, how did you get from there to getting your behind into an IndyCar? Well, I came back different for sure. Um, I came back cold. My, my family and my parents were like, God, you're just so different. You're cold now. And I had to, probably an accent. <laughs> <laughs> a little dabble. Cheerio, you know, like, oh. <laughs> I asked a lot of questions instead of making statements. They're like, everything's a question. Mm. Very British. Um, uh, you're all right. You're all right, aren't you? You know, you're like, that's all right, isn't it? You know, like, it's always a question. Um, but anyway, I came back much colder because of life experiences. You know, you open up to people and they, you know, they don't reciprocate or they throw you under the bus or they, um, you know, they make your life difficult and it's not as respectful and it's not, yeah, it's not a reciprocal, reciprocal experiences. So I came down, I came back much more shut down and cold. Um, and I was 19 and I came back like partway through a season. I was, I literally never had done this before, but my sister was with me, thankfully. And my manager said, don't go to the track. We're going to bring you home. Like, cause I just wasn't getting the right treatment. I wasn't getting the right equipment. Um, and, uh, and so they're like, well, we'll you're going to come back. And so I didn't show up at the track and then I ended up flying back home, moving back home. And um, then my dad and I just started going to IndyCar races and walking around talking to race teams. And not in IndyCar, but the lower, lo- lower level, there was Formula Atlantic and there was also Indy Lights then. And so, you know, going around to those teams and seeing if they would even just test me in a car. And uh, nobody, nobody wanted to. Um, and then finally... I went to the race, the IndyCar races in Milwaukee, which was only like within an hour of our house. And similar to that pivotal point in time when my dad and I decided to go down to Indianapolis for the meeting with the, um, with the family that wanted to help me go to England, I almost didn't want to go to the track that day. I was over it. I was like, Dad, we pound the, pound the pavement and walk around and nobody wants to help us. Nobody wants to do anything. I'm sick of it. And he's like, let's just go. Let's just go for like 45 minutes and we'll turn around and we'll come home. I'm like, fine. So we go. And I had a call from someone that week that was like a really odd, just coincidental bit of information where somebody said that if there was a race team for me in the Formula Atlantic series, 
um, that there was a sponsor that would be willing to sponsor it. So I went to the track and I saw my old friend Bobby Rahal, who I met in England because he was running a Formula One team for a while. And so we went to, I think, like a TGI Fridays in Milton Keynes, where I where we lived and um, caught up and became sort of friends. And anyway, I only saw him a couple of times. But being American, you already have kind of that built in friendship. And so I come back and he was he had come back as well. He wasn't running the Formula One team anymore. And I saw him at the racetrack and I was like, hey, Bobby, I was like, apparently I, there's a sponsor that's willing to pay for this if there's a letter of intent that you're going to start a Formula Atlantic team for me. And he said, OK, let's do it. And I was like, OK. And two weeks later at Laguna Seca, the next IndyCar race, we had a press conference and signed the letter of intent in front of everybody else and in front of the media and uh, off to the races. And so in literally, yeah. And so in 2003 and four, I raced Atlantic and then 2004 in May, which was the beginning of the season. The seasons in racing start around February, March ish time. So this is May and I'm like barely into my second season in Atlantic. Um, I'm standing there watching media day at the Indy 500, just watching because I'm a former Atlantic driver. I'm not an IndyCar driver. And at the front of the room during the media day, Bobby says that I'm going to race in the Indy 500 and full-time IndyCar next year. And I didn't even get that memo. Holy I was God. like, oh my God. And so I don't know how that all, I actually really should ask him like how that all transpired and like how we've talked, we, we're, still, we're still friends. So I should ask him how that all happened because I'd I don't remember getting the memo that I was going to be racing IndyCar the next year, but that's how I found out. And so next year I raced IndyCar and then I almost won the Indy 500 that one year later. That was bananas. That's <laughs> when like everything yeah. went to like astronomical levels. You know, yeah. this is obviously the biggest race in the world in that sport. Yeah. And your rookie season, yeah. you are like really right there to yeah. win this thing. And, you know, it's riveting. Like, the crowd is going nuts. They're act everybody's acting different, like mm -hmm. than they usually act, because of your 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 circumstances. You know, like this isn't supposed to happen yeah, in so many exactly. different ways. And so your all the qualities that make you who you are put you in that position to do that thing. Mm -hmm. You know, despite all the pressures, despite mm -hmm. all of the seeming uh, advantages that other people might have. You know, even your story and getting there to that moment and like kind of literally coming down to the wire of you like wanting to just throw the whole oh, yeah. thing away. Oh, yeah. Like it's so remarkable. You weren't like picked as like this person is going to be the next. Oh, no. And so when that took place and you ended up getting fourth, which is just that's in and of itself that nobody would have ever thought anything like that. Yeah. You know, I know even as I'm talking to you, I know you, of course, wanted to win. I know yeah. that. And it it was really, really close, obviously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But when that happened, the sport changed. Mm -hmm. You brought in your I don't want to give analogies, but you know, it's kind of like a Tiger Woods type moment of like you're bringing all these people who don't pay attention to the sport are paying attention to the sport now. Yeah. So yeah. yeah I so wonder, it'd be so interesting, so cool to be able to re-experience it. Like if I could plug myself back in into 2005 when that all happened and be able to feel it and see what was all going on but with these eyes yeah and this like this experience now it'd probably blow me away so from that point 
obviously, you know, there's an expectation now. Now seeing what you can actually do against mm-hmm. the world's best mm-hmm. and you yeah. being in that guild, what did you do that was, you know, this was Japan when something really remarkable happened. Yeah. How long was later. it from that moment until Japan took place? And what was it um, like in three between? years? Three years. Yeah, it took three years. And um, yeah, I mean, I, the first Japan that I went to, which was the race before the Indy 500 in 2005, which was my first year, I qualified on the front row. I finished fourth. Um, and then, uh, you know, there was, I, I had a bunch of poles that first year of my IndyCar career. Um, yeah, I mean, there was chances and it just didn't happen. And so finally in 2008, it did. Like a driver told me, you're going to be doing the same thing that you'll, you do every day, every day. Like mm-hmm. you're going to just be doing the same old thing. And then all of a sudden you're just going to win. And I'm like, okay. And that's kind of what happened. Mm. Yeah. And so this is where I think a lot of people cognitively, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Some people just connect you to NASCAR. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm more IndyCar than I even was NASCAR though. I mean, I yeah. raced IndyCar. For, I raced open wheel cars all the way until NASCAR. I started doing a little bit of NASCAR in 2010 and 11, and then, um, but still full time IndyCar. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then I did full time NASCAR starting in 2012. And the first full cup year was 13, which is when I started, which is then that was cool. That kind of kicked off with qualifying on the pole for the Daytona 500. Um, so, yeah. And was that your first or second year? Well, it was my first full time year. I had crazy. Done, Listen, yeah. How that transition <laughs> from IndyCar yeah. to NASCAR, it was like totally. You had never too. driven a NASCAR type car, right? No. no. What? The, how? Know. Who are you? <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, I just you know, maybe to kind of encapsulate like who am I and what drives me and even why I retired, and even going back to the very beginning with go karts and telling the story about racing and having it be an instant gratification thing and being able to have lap times. I always liked the process, Mm. the mug that you got me. And I didn't realize it as much. I wasn't as um, aware that I loved the process that much, but I really loved the process and I loved the hope of having a better race the next race or the next year. And so, yeah, I mean, whatever formula I was in with the IndyCar and NASCAR, it was like the hope of doing better, the hope, the the process of learning something new, the experience of it, um, as painful as it is sometimes. The through pain comes growth, and um, and I'm my my life mission is to grow and to help people want to do the same thing, and um, so I ended up just feeling like at the end and why I retired, big part of it was just, I didn't feel like I had hope for the next year. Like the team I was with was not going to have me back because there was a sponsorship issue. And I was like, man, I just don't want to go to a lesser team. And I just, I'd want, I want to be able to do well, you know, like I would rather get paid less and go to a better team than get paid more and go to a lesser team. Like it was always about just being able to have, have progress and hope. So um, that's kind of how it's always been for me with everything. It's like once something feels stagnant or like there's no more hope anymore, it's like, what's the point? Yeah. It doesn't matter what facet of life you're looking at. What's the point? Through this process, this process in which 
you know, the mug that I got you. Mm-hmm. What does it say? So thought. Uh, uh, it's about the process, isn't it? Say. Yeah, I looked at it real quick. Is that right? right? So this is. <laughs> I don't remember what it says. It's right there. <laughs> it's right there. Can yeah, you? Yeah, can go you get grab it? it? It's underneath. You can just move my jacket. All right. Yeah. Bring it on. I just had a brain fart, which is super Perfect. rare. Oops. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy That's the journey. Like, did I? Did it say the process, enjoy the process? But this is, but this is yeah. to me like enjoy the journey is just like the process, right? The the process of life is the journey. I mean, it was so long as you're destination oriented, you're never gonna get there. Yeah. Because again, in Abraham Hicks' voice, like you're never gonna get there, and it's never done. So having a destination, having goals is great, but don't forget to enjoy the journey. Enjoy the process. Yeah. Like it's the learning, the achieving, right? Because there's always high points too. And, you know, understand that it's just all part of it. Like, yeah. So coincidentally, you collect mugs, apparently, you know, I, it's one of the things that right you right like. on. I love that you knew that. And, um, you know, it's kind of symbolic because I love that process and I love the journey of life. And it says, the cup said, the mug says, enjoy the journey. And that's so true. Yeah. Like, you know, people that get associated with a destination, it's, um, it's mm-hmm. always elusive. It's the, it's the dangling carrot that you can never reach because um, it'll always be something else. Yep. And it's great to have goals and that's super mm-hmm. important. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have things that you want and aspire to, um, but if you can't enjoy, the process and the journey along the way, then um, your life is going to merely be that arduous, painful yeah. uh, lack. It's like a lack mindset because you don't have it. Yeah. You know, that kind of gets to more of the energy and frequency thing of life is that when you want something so badly, there's the energy of not having it there. And that's not, a, that's not in resonance because yeah. it is. In the quantum field, it's out there. <laughs> it's out there waiting for you. Yeah. Yeah, you know, contrary to popular belief, the achievement of a goal can actually bring about depression because the process is now gone. Mm. But then the other side of depression could look like they're not moving towards a goal because they feel the goal is unattainable or, you know, the connection isn't there, whatever the case might be. So the the joy or the growth, the anti-depression exists in the middle where you have something you're striving towards, yeah. but understanding that it's a continuous process. Mm-hmm. Because once you achieve said thing, and you could ask so many people who've, that people look towards like their life, if I only had whatever it is, once they achieve that thing, the pinnacle of whatever it was, they experience a lull. Like mm-hmm. there's a dip mm-hmm. in their emotional yeah. fortitude because that striving is now complete. And so, I think a gift that we can give our children, that we can give future generations, even ourselves today, is understanding that you're never, you never arrive. You know, it's just this kind of strange thing. It's because of movies, you know, happily ever after, you know, after this thing happens. But in reality, attaching yourself to something or to a mindset that you always proactively choose growth, proactively choose something that you're working on, mm-hmm. you know, have your goals, like you said. I love mm-hmm. that you said that. It's great to have goals, mm-hmm. but understand that this goal is just that's a launching pad to the next thing. Sure, it's just know? an idea. Yeah. So I want to ask you about this. What do you think about? So for, first, I'm going to ask this: What is your favorite racing movie? Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder. 
Yeah. Uh, my guy, Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All cool. right, now, full confession, I've watched probably every Tom Cruise movie, even The Outsiders. Like, people don't even know about that. I don't even know right? about that. So this is when he was super young. It's based on the book. Oh. You know, I even watched Jack Reacher, like, oh. this weekend. All wow. right? Wow. But I've never fan. seen Days of Thunder. Oh, my God. Of you like have to see every it. movie I've seen. It's so great. All of them. It's a great yeah. movie. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And then Talladega Nights is pretty funny, too. <laughs> Ricky Bobby. And there's some truth to it, too. <laughs> Which part? The cougar part? Yeah, probably. You know, no, get in like, the car with the uh, cougar. Not the cougar. I thought you meant girls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> But part of it, he he became afraid to get into the car. That's true. You know, and so his dad, which his, the guy who plays his dad in that movie, I would see him at the gym all the time prior to everything getting shut down. Oh, wow. He was just walking around the gym. I, of all, I've been at gyms literally all over the world, mm -hmm. seeing all kinds of people. Yeah. But it is very rare to see a person who's just smiling at, all the time. Oh, really? So he's like a really happy person. He just he had walking to play around like a smiling. miserable drunk guy. Not him. Right. Great job. Right. It's amazing acting. But he's got his headphones on. He's just got this like, it didn't seem like a, 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 a manufactured smile, like this very subtle smile on his face walking around. It's just, and he's also in office space. Like, yeah, I'm going oh, yeah. to come yeah, in. I'm going to need you to come in on Saturday. You know what? <laughs> I'm going to need you to come in on Sunday. Yeah, that's the okay. guy. Okay. That's a great movie, too. Brilliant. And also, so in that scene, uh, Ricky Bobby's afraid to get into the car, right. so he throws the cougar in the car, a live cougar, and he's just like, if you, you know, you got to be able to wrestle with that fear. You get in there and you're calm, cool, Yeah, you know, it's all going to work out, but, you know, it didn't work out like that for him at that point in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you said some parts of his perception to change, right. or if you can get in with the cougar, you can go out there by yourself on the track. It kind of worked, though, I think. Yeah. He got back out there. Eventually. The After he got car? mauled by the cougar. In the meat car. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so you said that there's some truth in Ricky Bobby's sure. ballad, the ballad of Ricky oh, Bobby. Sure. Like what? Well, like, I mean, um, uh, fancy ladies at the track. And I don't know if like one swaps one for another. Maybe it will happen. Maybe, you know, I'm sure that's happened. Um, but. Um, Is there any shake and bake action on the track? There used to be. Mm. Used to be some shake and bake action. It was back when they repaved Daytona and it was so fast and all the cars were glued to the ground and you could do anything out there. And so there was a phase of bump drafting. So cars would link up. And so in the front of the car is a grill and it goes to the radiator, keeps things cool. So you'd keep the grill open on the right side so that you could get enough airflow and you'd drive behind the car you drive behind the car in front of you, locked into their bumper, pushing them and have like your right side peeked out so that you could keep the engine cool. The more in straight in line you are, the faster you'll go because you have like multiple horsepower. You have both of your engines, but one car doesn't have any drag, any any drag from the air. So it's like boost, it boosts the whole thing. Um, and so then you'd practice swapping in practice and being really efficient with that and because you'd basically have a tandem partner. So you had a shake and bake partner. We did that for a little while and it oh. became illegal because people didn't <laughs> like watching it. Holy moly. Holy yeah, moly. Yeah, that was a weird phase. It, I just want you guys to know that it feels like you, maybe you're going to hit the car in front of you or 
beside you or a wall, but I'm here to tell you that when we were bump drafting, you felt like you were literally like driving underneath the car. You were so far up their ass. Like it was like, so you, that's how close it has to visually look for you to be touching them. That's nuts. And at what speed are you going? 200. That is and some 220. I don't know. I don't know. That's bananas. All right. So the only place I ever used, we have ever used speed really was at the Indy 500. Mm-hmm. And you just go off of averages. It'd be like, you know, um, like a 230, 230 average or a 236 average or a 228 average or whatever. That's the only time we used it. But we weren't even using peak speed. We were using average speed of the okay. lap. All right. I'm, let me give this some context. All right. <laughs> I, I think there have been an, a nice percentage of folks who've gone 100 miles an hour. All right. Yeah, I'm sure. Which is, it feels pretty freaking fast now. Yeah. Double that. Double that. And then bump draft. Oh, and then worry God. about people around you. <sighs> oh, yeah. Bananas. It was like a um, chaotic ballet out there. Mm. You're like artistically like flowing through because you've got someone behind you. You can't mm. make your own moves. You're with someone and you just have to weave your way through it all. It was a very interesting time. Mm. Have you ever had, obviously things are happening incredibly fast. But one of the qualities that probably is required is a sense of presence. Yeah. You know, I would imagine things are much slower for for you than somebody else who would be thrust into that situation. So have have things ever kind of like slowed down for you in these moments? Crashes always did. Hmm. Um, There's some things in life we can all experience that all of a sudden like, there's a sort of transcendence of time where it doesn't seem to be linear anymore. Like it's like, like it took forever or what, you know, and, um, and crashes were one of them where you saw something kind of coming and happening and you got, whoa, God, and then you start losing it and you're spinning. And I, I always had a thought, I was at the same thought. And that thought was, this is going to hurt. <laughs> and, um, and then you just kind of like close your eyes and tuck up and wait for it to slow down and be over. And, um, yeah. But when you watch it on, you know, you watch it on film and it's like, and you're like, Mm. So wow. things would slow down in a wreck. That sounds like that literally sounds like a movie, you know, yeah. when they go put in a slow motion. Yeah. Their consciousness is interesting. There's this quote that I saw that you had um in your home. It was like um I think it was maybe a, a piece of art or something like yeah. that. And it said that if your dreams don't scare you, they're not, not big, big enough. enough. Yeah. My mom got that for me actually. This is my little yoga room back in North Carolina. And um I, uh, it's true. I mean, I think that I've always been a firm believer of dreaming as big as possible, like just as big as possible, even if you don't even think it's possible. Like if you don't think it's possible, but dream into it, right? Like I want to be an astronaut and I want to go land on Mars, right? I mean, like just come up with anything, whatever feels like, man, that would be amazing. Make it feel fun. Be like a kid about it. Mm. Um, yeah, because if you fall short, then, which, you know, we have these dreams and aspirations, and if they're big enough, I mean, you might achieve them. But if you don't, probably still kicked ass. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. It's going to require so much growth. Yeah. Just moving in that direction. That's yeah. what people really miss out on. Like, just start doing the thing. Start going in that direction. How about just even know what you want to do? Wow, yeah. I think most people don't even know what they'd want to do. 
if they could do anything, like being truly pragmatic about it and like intentional with thinking and with visualizing and, and answering that question. I think a lot of people don't have an answer. They might be like, oh man, I'd be a, I don't know, go to the beach and lay there. You know, they might have some flippant answer, but like truly, what would you do if you could do anything? Let's talk about the importance of clarity because I also noted that you watched The Secret before you won that race I in Japan. Did. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I ended up interviewing Rhonda too, which was really fun. Um, she's so spiritual and so tapped in and interesting. And um, um, yeah, Rhonda Byrne, she was really cool. I mean, what so, are the odds of that though? Like you watch that and then you win in Japan after three years. I know. Um, I, you know, visualizing it and creating it. I mean, again, I love quantum physics. So like the idea and it's law of attraction. So it's the idea of, you know, knowing what you want, asking for what you want, visualizing what you want, creating the feeling inside of your body of getting it. And then, which is part of the visualization. And then there's an energetic cord attached to it. And so now it's just a matter of time. And so, um, there's two parts that are hard. One is is truly believing it, right? I think that's actually probably one of the hardest parts. Um, and then um, the magic of sort of like putting yourself there, imagining it, imagining it have it has happened or has come to you. Um, that's hard too because that gets down to some worthiness stuff and some um, good enough stuff and some deserving and um and truly believing because it's like you know it gets hard to visualize stuff that you want if you don't think it's going to come yeah. so you got to believe it you know that's really the magic sauce in my, in my opinion mm -hmm. and not the believing visually like the universe isn't responding to our words it's responding to our emotions and our truth and what we really believe and so you can say like i could say all day i'm gonna go dunk a basketball oh yeah i'm gonna go dunk a basketball for those who don't know i'm five foot one and a half I'm gonna go dunk a basketball. I know I can't dunk a basketball, <laughs> right? But you know, even if that is your, if you're so focused on this, this, is what I've seen to be true, which you're you're right for sure, is that something? It'll be a different variation of that that will show up in your life. You know, so an example is like I'm thinking in, in basketball is Tim Grover, who's who's a personal trainer for Kobe Bryant, for Michael Jordan, mm -hmm. for Dwayne Wade. He had aspirations of playing in the NBA, the whole thing. But with that intention and his goal, he kept moving forward and ended up in the NBA, but in the form of training the greatest players in the world, yeah. right? So yeah. it's just like, it might show up in a different variation Agreed. that can all be of awe and, and revelation and surprise and beauty, yeah. you know? So what might happen is, you know, you might have this, this, this vision of you dunking a basketball and then we walk outside and somebody's rolling into the office next door, a little, you know, door hoop, you know, and we're Dunk just like, we're just yeah. talking about basketball. I know. I'll that's, that's right. That stuff does happen. I mean, yeah. that's where having goals is important, but it, you kind of alluded to it earlier. Like, but, you know, understand that it can come in different, different ways. And yeah. it's not always, this is the important to not get too attached to those outcomes. Um, I mean, I think the seven spiritual laws of success is a great one by Deepak Chopra just to, you know, line out those things, which is, you know, don't be attached to outcomes um, because that creates an expectation level. You could be disappointed. 
Um, so setting intentions, but then letting it go and understanding that maybe the universe has a better plan or maybe there's just something that will fit better with you. I don't care. God, whatever use word you want to use, universe, God, source, um, magic in life. I don't know. Whatever you want to say that makes sense to you and feels like it resonates with you. But just trust that you don't have all the answers. Yeah. But you are the dreamer. Mm. Well, Thoughts become things. Got a quick break coming up. We'll be right back. Very often, it's the small things that can make the greatest impact. Archimedes said, if you give me a lever and a place to stand, I can move the world. It's all about leverage. It's all about positionality. And the same thing holds true when it comes to human health and performance. It is truly honoring the things that give us the greatest leverage. No process can happen in the human body without this remarkable sodium potassium pump. This exchange helps our mitochondria to create fuel. This exchange helps our heart to beat. This exchange helps all of our brain cells to communicate. Nothing is taking place without electrolytes. Electrolytes are minerals that carry an electric charge. And also we've got mountains of peer-reviewed evidence as to their efficacy with every single area of human health. For example, our cognitive ability depends mightily on the function of electrolytes. Take sodium, for example. Not only is sodium required to help to maintain fluid balance in your brain itself. A study conducted by researchers at McGill University found that sodium functions as a literal on-off switch in the brain for specific neurotransmitters that support optimal function and protect the brain against numerous diseases like epilepsy, like neuropathic pain. How simple, how foundational, how much leverage we can get from making sure that we're getting adequate amounts of the right type of sodium. Fascinating new study published in the journal Neuron found that another remarkable electrolyte, essential electrolyte, magnesium, is able to restore critical brain plasticity and improve cognitive function. Truly, we can fight so hard, so mightily, to find nutrients, specific foods, that can help to bolster our cognitive performance. But it really boils down first and foremost to leverage and our electrolytes are that leverage now what about the immune system this is something that is on a lot of people's minds today well the meta-analysis publishing the annals of clinical biochemistry titled electrolyte imbalances in patients with severe coronavirus disease covid19 it analyzed five studies with nearly 1500 patients with covid19 and found that both sodium and potassium, another critical electrolyte, were significantly lower in patients with severe COVID-19. Now, this should raise a lot of flags. This should raise up our antennas to understand, hey, what's going on here with our electrolytes? Is electrolyte deficiency leading to worse health outcomes? Severity with COVID-19? Or is COVID-19 and any infectious disease requiring electrolytes for the healing process? For an appropriate immune response to be mounted? The answer is it's both. And the answer is we've got to ensure that we're getting high quality electrolytes in the right ratios. This is why myself and my family utilizes Element, L-M-N-T. Go to drinklmnt.com forward slash model and you're going to get to try Element for free. They're going to send it right to your door, just pay a little bit in shipping, you get to try a variety pack of Element. This remarkable electrolyte 
is not coming along with any binders and fillers and artificial colors and flavors, no sugar, any of that stuff, just the high quality electrolytes that you need to thrive. All right, so check them out. Again, it's getting shipped right to your door. Go to drinklmnt.com forward slash model and get your electrolytes optimized today. Now, back to the show. You know, there's something, I, I, I want to have this conversation because one of the things that I know is that we, even myself, like we, we have no idea of how powerful we are. True. You know, it's just like there's levels to it. And for everybody listening, I really want them to start to step into and really understand how powerful you are to create yeah. your reality. Yeah. And these principles, it, again, it can sound very, uh, for some people, very hopeful. So for some people, it's like very obvious and like it's based on some, some pretty sound science. For some people, it can sound totally ridiculous mm -hmm. that, you know, you're attracting things into your life or whatever the framing is. And so- I'll tell you right now, when I watched the film, I lived in Ferguson, Missouri. My mattress was on the floor. I was barely making ends meet. You know, I was a college student. We're just about to graduate. And, you know, I see this and I immediately am filled with ideas. Like I was just, I started like mapping out, okay, well, maybe I'll open a gym or I'll create a t-shirt company or whatever. I just started creating stuff. Like I felt very inspired. and cut to today, many of the people who are in the film are my friends. Like Michael Beckwith is my guy. Like he just texted me before the show started, you know, and he, of the film, like he resonated with me the most. Like mm. I saw more of myself like mm. in him. What are the odds that somebody in Ferguson, Missouri, now like he's over at my house all the time. There's like, and literally there are millions of people that are vying for his attention. Mm -hmm. There's something about me that connected with him yeah. as well. And even for us to meet, it was under the most remarkable circumstances. We didn't meet here in the United meet? States. We met in Portugal, <laughs> right? It's just like, that is like, come on, Bob Proctor, Lisa Nichols. Like I've done so many things for her, for her different events wow. as well. You know, I've had her on several times as well. She flew to St. Louis to see me, you know, because it's just, wow. it's nuts. You know, uh, John Gray, um, who else? Um, Jack Canfield. Cheers. But of course, it's creating something for that to come into your life. Yeah. You know, like I created this, this platform mm -hmm. and I, I did what was necessary to become the type of person mm -hmm. that can have these relationships. Mm -hmm. So coming from where I come from to be in that position, it is a part of it. But what tends to happen is like we think it's the person. Like it's just that person is just, I'm this way. Like Sean already had whatever. Mm. No, 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 no. <laughs> I was lost in the sauce. I was, <laughs> I was not okay, you know. But I was at that point. I had such thanks a, for sharing that too. I think that's important stuff for people. Yeah, thank be you. Be vulnerable, you know. But I, I think the biggest quality that I had at that time was a willingness, which is just going back to what you were saying. Just that, you know, that the the process, and just like mm -hmm. I was just moving. I'll start. I started just doing things, you know, yeah. and it's just subtly moved me in the right direction. But I asked Michael Beckwith, you know, he's sitting right there in that chair about when bad things happen, mm -hmm. you know, especially to good people. Like, mm -hmm. do we attract these things? That mm -hmm. sounds terrible. Mm -hmm. And he immediately was like, you know, we've got to understand that there's something bigger than all of this. Like we have, and we don't know, this is the thing, like I'm a very analytical person, I'm a yeah. scientist. 
the the most remarkable thing about us we know nothing about really you know which is we have a soul assignment is what he said yeah and you know we're coming here and we're into certain conditions like it's one in a billion chance that you were born let alone to this particular parents at this particular part of the, oh, the yeah. globe and just all these things and you're born in these conditions that are going to warrant certain qualities to emerge in you bad things are going to happen mm -hmm. that qualify you to be the person that you can become yeah you know and so you know, for me, and now I can see it, even when something, what I would refer to as negative happens, I'm just like, what, what, what is it for me? How did I attract this situation? What do I need to learn sure. from this situation? You know, what gift is in this? Yes, you there know? it is, exactly. Yeah. It's like, cause of course the first reaction is like, right? First reaction to negative things is, can be that way. Um, but the, the, I think the wisdom is how quick can you turn it? How quick can you turn that into a positive and an, into an opportunity? And um, when you deal with difficult things, um, there's always an opportunity to grow and learn something. So even at a minimum, there's that. And uh, yeah, perception, back to the beginning. Back to the back beginning, to the beginning, you know, and also puts the power in our hands to yeah. when a negative thing does happen or you, that happened prior to you being aware of these things, you know, whether it is, you know, I've been through it. I've been through it all. You know, the abuse, the, you know, the, the poverty, whatever the case might be. And it's not, again, like you're consciously attracting these bad things. It's when I realize that I have a role in it, mm -hmm. I understand that I can, I don't have to carry that. I can mm -hmm. change. I can understand the contrast. I got a great example of how not to be yeah. a father, you know? And so now I'm going to choose this, you know? Mm -hmm. And so just embracing some of these tenets that are happening, whether you like it or yeah. not, is that, you know, the power is really in your hand to change. And Well, you, you said it. We know yeah. so much less about ourselves than we know. I mean, we don't even understand how the brain works. We don't, we, we don't understand consciousness. We don't understand why we know we're having thoughts, right? There's obviously something above our thoughts because we know we're having thoughts. I'm thinking. It's like a fish doesn't know it's an ocean because it's just or a fish it's just is right but we know we have thoughts it's like you know there's so much so much i mean we have junk dna what's that we have you know <laughs> black matter dark matter what is that like we don't that's all we just give it a title yeah <laughs> we think we because it has a title it is something it's because we don't know there's so much stuff we don't know and i heard someone say you know i do a lot of spiritual stuff and take trips and have a lot of friends in the space and you know one of the things that was said was like you know don't it's okay to expect magic right like i think people get a little shocked by that and but expecting magic is kind of the way it's supposed to go maybe that's the way it used to go i went to egypt last year and i'm like i think there was a lot more magic back in those days magic as in i would call magic a, very much just stuff that science can't prove you know mm -hmm. but then again a there's a whole lot of stuff we can't prove. So why not just add to the list? Mm, that's facts. You know, what bakes my noodle, what I was going to say is that just seeing the, the observable universe, the observable universe, because we can't even observe the vast majority of it, but the observable universe has billions of galaxies. Oh, my God. We're in you know? one. <laughs> I mean, we don't even know. We, we, there's so many different concepts about that. I mean, there's a concept of the multiverse, right? Of having um, universes that are like bubbles. That's how they represent it in a photo. It's like there's, 
there's different universes. Like there's galaxies within the universe. Yeah. I mean, like it's just blows your mind. I yeah. just love, I remember being a kid and looking up to the stars at night and just getting a headache thinking, it goes on forever. But then at the end of forever, it's, there's no end. It's more. I can't understand this. Um, so uh, it's, it's always my fascin fascination. Um, I love learning about that stuff. Yeah, it's so cool. We're a part of it, you know, like because we're part of it, we're connected to all of it. I know, right? And that's why, you know, somebody, you know, some people are more connected to things than others or more tapped into the feeling. But, you know, that's why somebody that you don't even know can get hurt, but you care, right? Because you connect it, you know, yeah. and neighborhood it used to be, a, you know, tons of trees and gets cut down for a, you know, track neighborhood to go in. And you're like, oh, man, that's a bummer. Like, why would you care? It has nothing to do with you, except it does. And we're connected to everything. Mm. And that's also why, you know, when you get into more of those spiritual spaces and working with energy and the universe, people, you know, that can tap into frequencies. They can tap into the Akashic records. They can tap into, you know, past souls. Um, I interviewed Teresa Caputo, the Long Island medium, and just understand, like, Hearing her do that, and I've talked to many different people like that, just different energies and frequencies going on. And once you know that even just from a pure awareness standpoint, for us, our vision and our hearing is like at this, like, you know, this is how much we can hear and see. We hear and see about that much of the spectrum. That's the spectrum we know about. Yeah. You and know? you just mentioned interviewing because you have your own show I do, yeah. now, and you've already like, You've had some incredible guests yeah. and incredible Had episodes. you on. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I qualify. You know, that's, that's so, so cool. And, I you love know, learning. It's the yeah. best way to learn. I'm already deep diving on plenty of topics. So then when someone comes, someone that I don't know as much about, I just deep dive on it or the subject that they're into. And it's so fun. So fun. It's such a great, you know, you meet so many people, make so many friends, incredible networking. And then I just get to interview and talk to and become friends with people that I'm fascinated with. Mm. It's the best. <laughs> and educate people yeah. and have cool conversations and share experiences. And, you know, the whole point of the show for me is, um, it's so funny. I just, just yesterday had um, a big, we called it DPV Summit. So Danica Patrick Ventures. Like I have a bunch of different companies. And so we all came together for a summit. And um, I, I opened up and just, thanked everyone for coming and you know sounds formal but they're all my friends but of course you still say thank you for coming and at the end of you know after expressing what i wanted to accomplish in the day was to remind them that they're part of something bigger and that this isn't about me this isn't about serving me this is about serving everyone all of my companies boil down to and all the things that i i do boil down to even at the end of my career in racing i realized that like inspiring people was important and just being out there was enough for people. It was never enough for me, which is why I did more than just go out there and participate. Um, but I want to continue to inspire when I was done. And, um, and so that's the core of it all is like opening people's minds up. I'm not trying to tell you what to believe. I'm just trying to say like, maybe it could be different or maybe it's not what you think. And um, maybe this is possible. You think it's not, but maybe it is possible. And so it's to kind of just like, fracture the fracture the the um mental landscape of how you think it is to other ways that it maybe could be and like bringing the light in and showing more 
um, is really the point of it. And it's the point of all my companies foundationally at the bottom, whether it's I have two wines, Somnium, which is a Napa Valley wine that I started back in 2009, actually. Um, uh, Danica Rosé, which is a French rosé, um, just launched a candle company called Voyant, which is the seer. So it's all about it's very intentional based on essential oils and flowers and certain smells and the nature of what they do. I learned a lot about that in Egypt. Um, and, and the other facets, even my speaking engagements, I do a lot of speaking engagements. And so I just reminded them that it's not about how to make me money or make me successful. It's how to help people. That's the whole point. I've lost plenty of money in a lot of my businesses. It's not about making money or I would have sold them all or not done them in the first place. So, you know, I think that that's foundationally something that's really important to me. And so that's the answer to why I do the podcast is I love just, I just want to open people's minds up. Yeah. The podcast is called Pretty Intense. Yeah. Because I've been described as pretty intense. I also had a book come out a couple of years back called Pretty Intense. So yeah. um, it has a workout program in it. It has recipes that I wrote and photographed. You know, I photographed them even. And, um, and then there's, you know, a bunch of chapters just on mindfulness and how to kind of, it's like grassroots of like building a foundation of connection to yourself. Yeah. And also, you can be pretty and be intense as well. Maybe it's a double Let's entendre. Let's just, yeah, double entendre. I'm a big I fan mean, of the entendre. Aw, thank you. Yeah. Thanks. So, you know, I want everybody to check out your amazing podcast. And I love the name Danica Rosé. Like, Danica's a great name for a wine, period. Thanks, thanks. You know? I got to give my, uh, my mom credit. She heard the name when she was like 15. And she mm. always kept it to herself yeah. and thought, I'm going to name my first girl Danica. Mm. And then there I came like seven years later. <laughs> wow. So cool. You know, your mom is pretty dope, you know, <laughs> even tough. jumping in that car. And also she does, um, she, she's also big into fitness as well. She is. She's worked out with me. She's done the pretty intense workout program. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's tough. She's fought. She's gotten past cancer twice. Mm. Like my mom's a tough girl. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So again, I want everybody to check out Pretty Intense. And of course, they could pick up the book by the same name. Sure. Anywhere else yeah. people can follow you, get more information, hang out. I mean, out. Voyant by Danica is the candles, um, somniumwine.com or on Instagram, Danica Rose as well. Um, and really, if you just go to me, they'll, you'll see all the links for it in my Instagram. That's the most common way that I participate in social media. Awesome. Well, this has been really really dope hanging out with you you and, too thank you you know um you did your homework thanks you I knew mean, a lot about my life you know it's okay you know it's uh it's it's really a joy because we both talked about this is being able to do this work and the wonderful yeah. relationships that come from it and um you know the thing i noticed so many things about you just kind of getting into your world i mean you're low-key you're low-key funny like there's so many oh that's nice of you i always want to be funny but i'm not like i have a sister who's <laughs> funny a dad that's funny i'm not funny but i love that you said that thank you yeah thank you that's so nice even if i just a chuckle every now and again you see what i'm saying like i knew even me saying that like you're gonna be like nah, i don't know but yeah i mean I, I found myself just like laughing at certain little things it's just it's very subtle like a subtle <laughs> little bar you'll throw in there and, um, you know, you're, you're just very creative. You're very, um, you know, the greatest, the biggest thing that I noticed and we talked about, which is your curiosity. And I noticed that even in our conversation mm. before when I was on your mm -hmm. show, you know, just really asking thoughtful questions mm. and, you know, just, you, you have this thread of just being an internal student and yeah. those are my favorite kind of people. So, oh, you know, you're, you're amazing. Thank you. It's really fun. I 
love meeting new people and sharing the stories and and learning from people. I mean, learning from you. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> well, everybody, Danica Patrick. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. Remember, your perception is your reality. All right, you're seeing through that amazing mind of yours, that amazing brain, those amazing optical receptors. I'm right, pulling in data and it's all getting filtered through your own personal tapestry or patchwork quilt blanket of experiences to determine what your life is like, what life is like in general. Your perception about things will determine your reality. Now, this is incredibly empowering because we can perceive the world habitually as a constant threat and we can live in a state of constant alarm. Or, and I always remember this quote from Albert Einstein, it's really a driving tenet in my life, and to paraphrase it, it is that the most important decision that you make in your lifetime, the most important decision that you make is whether you live in a friendly or hostile universe. Again, attributed to a very, very smart man saying this is the most important decision that you make in your life is determining what type of universe you exist in. One that is friendly or one that is volatile. You know? And so keeping this in mind, how are we perceiving our lives? How are, we, how are we perceiving, especially right now during this turbulent time, are we perceiving and, and noticing that life is just right now, it's very turbulent because it's growing, it's evolving, it's changing, it's presenting, presenting opportunity? Or is it just chaos and a mess and it's all bad? You know, the opposite of what we say, you know, it's all good, it's all bad. Is that the reality? You know, or is it the other side where, you know, we're, Experiencing, we're seeing this as a friendly universe and we're all loving, all knowing, all giving. There's this um, omniscient, omnipresent connectivity to everything. And, but even within that, we might miss on some of the, the struggles. We might miss out on some of the negative things that are taking place and just kind of bypass and look past those things. Oh, it's all good. It's all love. When in reality, it's offering an opportunity for service. You know, we don't want to live into that other extreme necessarily, where our perception is that, you know, everything is, is all good and, you know, that's the only thing going on. I think that if we can strike a balance, especially during turbulent times to where we see the good that is there or that's possible and also acknowledge that, yes, things are not always sunshine and rainbows, but... They can come again. You know, all the rainfall that happens is going to present the opportunity for more rainbows, you know. And so, you know, thinking about Rocky Balboa right now, I think this was like Rocky Five. You know, there's like 10 Rockies out there now. He said that he was talking to his son, having this conversation that the world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. All right. And, you know, there's always been this consistent tenet of personal development in Sylvester Stallone's work, even in the expendables, I suppose. But, you know, these messages where we can live in this tunnel vision that, you know, everything is just strictly this way. It's, it's a black or white scenario. When for me and what I want to impress upon you today is that there's a beautiful tapestry. And this is why our ancestors, you know, there's always this tenet of like, for example, the, the yin and yang. You know, there's this tenet that there's this balance to the universe, this light and dark. 
And there's a little bit of dark in the light and a little bit of light in the dark. And we all have the capacity for so much within us, but we get to decide. We get to decide our perception and what we're seeing, and we get to decide how we show up in the world, where we're acting from. So, you know, I think Danica is an example, an excellent example of being able to create your reality, to be able to see, to have a vision of something, to be able to take steps in that direction, to have the audacity to put yourself in conditions where it might be remarkably hostile, stressful, and allowing yourself to keep showing up and growing and developing the qualities necessary to really tap into the highest of your potential. If you got a lot of value out of this episode, please share it out with your friends and family. And you can tag me. I'm at Sean Model on Instagram. And make sure to tag Danica Patrick as well. We've got some epic shows coming your way very, very soon. So make sure to stay tuned. Take care. Have an amazing day. And I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.